You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jen Crow. I'm one of your ministers here at First Universalist Church. And if you were here last week or you listened in, you maybe heard about my love of baseball, which is serious. And as a kid, I loved baseball and I learned all about baseball. And then, because I was a girl, I learned how to play softball because that's what I could do. And I became a first baseman, which I will argue is the best possible position on the field to get to play because you're at the center of the action all the time. And as the first base person, what's happening pretty regularly is that folks from all over the field are grabbing the ball wherever they can get it, and they are turning as quickly as they can, and they are firing at you very hard. So Luckily, when you're the first base person, you have a larger glove, which I am very grateful for. And I learned a lot of things about how to catch and how to play because I got to play on teams that were regional and national level and we traveled all the way up and down the East Coast and in the South, and it was a blast. But here are some of the things that I learned uh, being at first base where everything is coming at me, right? First of all, trust yourself. Don't be trying to catch the ball like this, you know, or like, uh, you know, you got to trust yourself and plant yourself to receive what is coming. Open the glove really big, make a big target so people can see it. So they're, you're welcoming it in, right? And then when the ball comes in, do you think there's any specific spot I should or should not try to catch this? It's coming really fast. Should I catch it right here? Ah, that hurts so much. Boom. And it pops right out. The ball is coming in. I want to catch it in the pocket, right? I want to catch it in the net. And that way I can catch something coming in really, really fast and really, really hard. And I can scoop it up. The other trick is when something's coming at you quickly, when you catch it, you want to give with the catch, right? Because if you just stay firm, it's going to hurt and you're probably going to drop it. So you catch it in the net and let it give just like that. So you may be wondering what this has to do with church. Fair question. Here's what I think it has to do with church. We are people like everybody who has a lot of things coming at them really quickly right now. Change of all kinds, information we like and don't like, decisions that we have to make are coming in all the time for all of us. We can catch it hard here and get hurt and have it pop out. We can catch it soft in the net. I'm thinking about this because we have some things we believe in here at First Universalist Church, things that are really important. Things like the inherent worth and dignity of every human being. Things like a circle so wide that no one is outside of it. These are important beliefs and they come at us and demand our decisions pretty quickly sometimes and how we're gonna be in the world. And what I wanna say is the how of how we catch each other 
and of how we receive information and how we are together is just as important as the stridency of those very clear, very important beliefs. So we say here things like, in the universalist spirit of love and hope, we give, receive, and grow. We listen deeply to where love is calling us next. We welcome, affirm, and protect the light in each human heart. And when we act for justice, we don't just do it with boldness, we do it with courage and humility and compassion. How we are matters. The posture we are in, how we catch ourselves and each other matters here. So we talk not only about our commitment to ending oppression in all of its forms, but also about creating communities of belonging and joy and liberation. We are building toward love and compassion and care for each other. That's the path we invite you into when you journey with us here at First Universalist Church. That is what we are about. So here we are together. And I am so glad that you are here in person and online or listening later in the week. It matters that we ground ourselves in our beliefs and in how we intend to be together. Now, next week, I just want to put a plug in. It will be a service you do not want to miss. Now, I believe this about all our services, of course, but next week in particular, we have some really wonderful guests who are going to be joining us. So you have probably heard me talk about our holiday giving initiatives, right, which is a project we do as a church to refocus our attention around the holidays uh, toward the creation of the greater good and away from consumerism and all of the things that can capture our attention. So ways that we can help build beloved community together. We're in the midst of a five-year partnership with Blue, Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, and we are going to have some special guests from Blue with us next week. So Lena Gardner, Executive Director of Blue, and the Reverend Michael Slack, who is the Community Minister and Minister of Pastoral Care for Blue, will be with us as part of the worship service next week. So I invite you to make sure you join us, whether it's in person or online or listening. Uh, you will not want to miss that. And we will be collecting financial gifts for Blue throughout the month, month of December, and especially a special collection on the 19th of December. So as we settle in to this time, let's start by remembering we live in bodies. So I'm putting my feet on the floor, taking a moment to stretch a little bit. And I'll invite us, if it's comfortable for you, to join in this practice we have together of three intentional breaths. Breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, and breathing out. One more breath in, breath out. And from this settled place, we remember that we are not the first and will not be the last people to live on this land wherever we are. Here, physically at church, we are on land that was cared for and stewarded by the Dakota and the Anishinaabe people. We honor their resilience, their resistance, their survival. 
we welcome in the strength of our ancestors as we commit again to the covenant of this church. If you know the words for our chalice lighting, I invite you to say them with me. If you don't, that is just fine. Let them wash over you. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Have you ever lost something that was really precious to you? Specifically, something that you had spent lots of time building, something that you had thought would last. Maybe it was one of those giant Lego sets that you thought you would play with once you had it all together, but after all that work, it falls apart so easily and it's gone. Maybe it was a career or a marriage, a business, a home, a precious friendship. Well, in this story by Corey Dorfeld, it is a complicated and fantastic tower of bricks, as tall as the child who built it. One day, Taylor decided to build something, something new, something special, something amazing. Taylor was so proud. But then, out of nowhere, things came crashing down. The chicken was the first to notice. Cluck, cluck, what a shame. I'm so sorry, sorry, sorry this happened. Let's talk, talk, talk about it. Cluck, cluck. But Taylor didn't feel like talking, so the chicken left. Next came the bear. Arr, arr, how horrible. I bet you feel so angry. Let's shout about it. Arr. But Taylor didn't feel like shouting. So the bear left. The elephant knew just what to do. Trumpadaw, I can fix this. We just need to remember exactly how things were. But Taylor didn't feel like remembering, so the elephant left. One by one they came. The hyena, hee hee, let's laugh about it. The ostrich, let's hide and pretend nothing happened. The kangaroo, tisk tisk, what a mess. Let's throw it all away. And the snake, let's go knock down somebody else's. But Taylor didn't feel like doing anything with anybody. So eventually they all left and Taylor was all alone. In the quiet, Taylor didn't even notice the rabbit. But it moved closer and closer until Taylor could feel its warm body. Together, they sat in silence until Taylor said, 
Please stay with me. The rabbit listened. The rabbit listened as Taylor talked. The rabbit listened as Taylor shouted. The rabbit listened as Taylor remembered and laughed. The rabbit listened to Taylor's plans to hide or throw everything away, to ruin things for someone else. Through it all, the rabbit never left. And when the time was right, the rabbit listened to Taylor's plan to build again. I can't wait, Taylor said. It's going to be amazing. Let it flow, let it flow, let it flow. Stop, go, be still, wander, wait, move, walk, run, crawl, wheel, hobble. No matter how we move or when we move, there are pauses. Sometimes these pauses are because we are tired Sometimes they're because someone has obstructed our path. Sometimes our pauses are because we forgot what we were doing five minutes ago. It is in these pauses, these in-between times, these in-between states, these liminal moments that we let our minds wander like the notes of the piano, let our minds wander, and we can call it dreaming, or we let our hearts lean in and we call it a reflection. 
Sometimes we surrender and call it a prayer. We lean in, we daydream, we reflect, we pray and seek as we ask why. Why do the things that I and most sensible people believe being dismissed? We lean in, we daydream, we seek, we reflect, we pray as we try to understand the choices we made 40 years ago and wonder if they were the right choices. We lean in, we daydream, we seek, we reflect, we pray for re-energized love in our marriages, for family patience, forgiveness, and unburdened truth to be revealed. Prayers in the cycle of life are pleas of our human imagination's desire to resurrect itself, to know itself, to redeem itself, to forgive itself, to love. As we sit in virtual and physical space together, friends, each of us is dealing with something something here you can put that something down right before you for a few minutes you can put it right here put it right here and take a good look at it whatever it is will leave with you but perhaps while you are here perhaps in this space that we've created this community that it may change colors, may change temperature, may take a shape-shifting form to help you recalibrate itself to your spirit, to your mind, and your heart. Maybe just enough so it doesn't hurt so much. The container we call the cycle of life guides us as we lean in, daydream, reflect, play and pray and seek. Is this in this container where courage is cultivated? Doubt is accepted and hope lives. It is here where we come together to begin again anew as we do each week in this place. Let your burdens lighten. Look where you're walking. Find someone to walk with. And let nature and the love of this earth be your prayer. Blessed be and amen. Thank you.
confession to make this week. I have been feeling angry this week and last week and the week before. And I know that you don't see that side of me very often, and I think we all will agree that's for the best and as it should be, that it is important that as one of the spiritual leaders of this congregation, I take time when those feelings come up, right? I take time and space to examine that feeling of anger and see what there is I can learn from it and learn about it so I don't spill it out all over other people and institutions. So I have been doing that these last couple of weeks, trying to take some of that space, that pause, and to work with what I am finding. So there are a couple things I know for sure about anger for myself that may or may not be true for you. For me, I have come to learn that anger is a surface emotion most of the time for me. What I mean by that is that I am angry as my go-to when really, if I take a little bit of time, what I find is that underneath that defensive anger response, I am actually sad, disappointed, hurt, worried, scared. There's some other uncomfortable emotion underneath it that if I can recognize and spend a little time with can help dispel some of that surface anger for me. I've also learned that anger is something that is positive too. It is a healthy emotion, a healthy human response, and it can be a signal for me that my boundaries have been crossed, that something doesn't feel safe, that doesn't feel right, that we're not in covenant, me and this other person or situation, and that is very much worth paying attention to as well. And in those cases, I can use anger as passion and purpose, modulated, of course, by how I want to be with others in the world. But anger isn't necessarily something to be dismissed right away for me. So like I said, I've been trying to pause with it. And I'll just give you some examples of maybe why I'm feeling a little crispy sometimes, and maybe they are familiar to you too. One of the worst ones for me is when I am experiencing somebody that I care about being attacked in some way. Maybe someone's being unkind to them or ungenerous in their opinions and I am watching as they are being hurt by someone else. That brings up such a fierceness in me and a desire to protect. Other things that have been happening is that people that I love have been kind of on edge at times over the last few weeks, maybe over the last, I don't know, 20 months are we at now or more? People have been on edge and they have been snarking at each other instead of offering care. There's some other situations in my life where what I've been experiencing is that kind of energy sucking thing that happens when you're trying to create something and other people are just seeing what's wrong with it and picking at that without offering a creative solution or engagement to collaboration. That really drives the energy right out of me. 
Some of these things have been happening over the last few weeks, months, 20 months, my whole life. <laughs> but they have been building up, I would say, and that feeling of anger has been right up front. So maybe if you live in the neighborhood, you have seen me out and about because I have been stomping around. I have been stomping around my house. I've been stomping around the backyard, cleaning up, and I have been stomping around the neighborhood and making my way around all of the lakes. I'll tell you, my dog is very happy about this situation and probably doesn't want me to start feeling better, but it is a kind and compassionate dog, so probably they do. But I have been out there stomping around, and I will tell you that I had prepared for us today an absolute barn burner of a sermon. I was going to get out here with all of my anger and emotion, and then something came in and got in the way, which I think is a good thing for you and for me. <laughs> so whenever I am feeling agitated. I have a hard time sleeping sometimes too, and I turn to reliable companions, which for me are often books, poetry, music. So I was having a little trouble sleeping this week, and I picked up the book Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. Some of you might know this book. It came out in 2004, uh, so 17 years ago, uh, and it tells a fictional story about a pastor who has been the pastor in this small town in Iowa for 40 years. And at that church, his father was the pastor there before him. It's a beautiful telling of what small town church life and preaching can be like. And in the book, this pastor is writing down lessons essentially for his young son because he knows he's gonna die soon and he wants his son to have some of his thoughts and his writings. So I was reading this and for those of you who are book geeks like me, page 41. Um, and I'm gonna read you one of the stories from here. So it's, it's settle in, it's not a short, short story, but I think it's well worth us listening to. So again, this book written in 2004, and as we get to this essay that I'm gonna to read to us, the pastor has been talking about the boxes and boxes of sermons he's got up in his attic that he's written over the years. One sermon is not up there. One I actually burned the night before I had meant to preach it. People don't talk much now about the Spanish influenza, but that was a terrible thing. And it struck just at the time of the Great War, just when we were getting involved in it. It killed the soldiers by the thousands, healthy men in the prime of life, and then it spread into the rest of the population. It was like a war, it really was. One funeral after another, right here in Iowa. We lost so many of the young people, and we got off pretty lightly. People came to church wearing masks, if they came at all. They'd sit as far from each other as they could. There was talk that the Germans had caused it with some sort of secret weapon, and I think people wanted to believe that because it saved them from reflecting on what other meaning it might have. The parents of these young soldiers would come to me and ask me how the Lord could allow such a thing. I felt like asking them what the Lord would have to do to tell us he didn't allow something. But instead, I would comfort them by saying we would never know what their young men had been spared. 
Most of them took me to mean they were spared the trenches and the mustard gas. But what I really meant was that they were spared the act of killing. It was just like a biblical plague, just exactly. It was a strange sickness. I saw it over at Fort Riley. Those boys were drowning in their own blood. They couldn't even speak for the blood in their throats, in their mouths. So many of them died so fast, there was no place to put them, and they just stacked the bodies in the yard. I went over there to help out, and I saw it myself. They drafted all the boys at the college, and influenza swept through there so bad the place had to be closed down, and the buildings filled with cots like hospital wards, and there was terrible death right here in Iowa. Now, if these things were not signs, I don't know what a sign would look like. So I wrote a sermon about it. I said, or I meant to say, that these deaths were rescuing foolish young men from the consequences of their own ignorance and courage, that the Lord was gathering them in before they could go off and commit murder against their brothers. And I said that their deaths were a sign and a warning to the rest of us that the desire for war would bring the consequences of war because there is no ocean big enough to protect us from the Lord's judgment when we decide to hammer our plowshares into swords and our pruning hooks into spears in contempt of the will and the grace of God. It was quite a sermon, I believe. I thought as I wrote it how pleased my father would have been. But my courage failed because I knew the only people at church would be a few old women who were already about as sad and apprehensive as they could stand to be, and no more approving of the war than I was. And they were there even though I might have been contagious. I seemed ridiculous to myself for imagining I could thunder from the pulpit in those circumstances. And I dropped that sermon in the stove and preached on the parable of the lost sheep. I wish I had kept it because I meant every word. It might have been the only sermon I wouldn't mind answering for in the next world, and I burned it. But Mirabelle Mercer out there in the pews was not Pontius Pilate, and she was not Woodrow Wilson either. Now I think how courageous you might have thought I was if you had come across it among my papers and read it. It's hard to understand another time. You would never have imagined that almost empty sanctuary just a few women there with heavy veils on should try to hide the masks they were wearing, and two or three men. I preached with a scarf around my mouth for more than a year. Everyone smelled like onions, because word went around that flu germs were killed by onions. People rubbed themselves down with tobacco leaves. It was a remarkable time. It was a remarkable time. It is a remarkable time. It's a remarkable time we are in right now. And I'll tell you, when I came across this passage and read it and read it again and read it again, my heart just softened and softened and softened. I could imagine those fictional people the folks in the pews in their masks, all of the death and loss, 
the pastor preaching for over a year with a scarf around his mouth. All that was happening, all the loss, all the fear. So thanks to this fictional pastor and this beautiful passage, I have metaphorically put that barn burner of a sermon into the fire. I'll save it for another day. I have it outlined in my mind very clearly. And it will be a sermon about how we have to move beyond statements of equity and inclusion and welcome and into the relationships of equity and inclusion and welcome. How we are together matters just as much or more than what we say. And how we are, that soft catch of each other, is what we are about here at this church. But I have put that sermon aside for this moment. And instead, I invite you into a spiritual practice that has been helping me over these last weeks and months as I deal with the same things that you all do, the ever-changing information that is coming at us, the challenges in our relationships, the change that is going on all over, whether it's in our bodies, in our relationships with family, at school, at work, in volunteering, at church, the change that is everywhere right now. So here are the things that I have been up to. Use them if they are useful to you. Put them away if they aren't. So I have to make this simple for myself, especially when I am agitated. And so I have named this practice soft heart, open hands, clear boundaries. Soft heart, open hands, clear boundaries. So here's what I mean by that. When I find myself irritated or upset with a person or place or situation, I try to take some space for myself. This can be a quick escape to hide out in the bathroom and breathe for a few moments. This can be a stomp around the neighborhood or a walk around the lake. It can be anything. I can just stop and take a deep breath to pause. And the first thing I often turn to is trying to soften up my heart. So the way that I do this is by I imagine the person or place or situation and I do my very best to try to imagine other possibilities besides the one that I have in my mind for how they are behaving or why the situation is the way that it is. And honestly, I start with the most outrageous seeming possibility I can come up with so that I can start stretching my imagination about that person, place, or situation. And I imagine a variety of reasons why things could be unfolding the way they are. And I try to be as generous as possible in my imagining. So after that, sometimes that takes me far enough. Often it doesn't quite. I will move into my body. And I will go ahead and make fists. And I will notice that when I make a fist like this and I hold that tension, that I am rigid. And I will notice that from this place, it is very hard to catch myself or another person with any care. And I will tighten and tighten and tighten and let go. And I will try to imagine 
releasing myself from the grip that my anger has on me. And then I will do a little exploring, sometimes out loud with another person to help me about what has my anger shown me that I need to know in this situation? What clear boundaries do I need to set about my own attention and energy and time and ways of being? And what boundaries do I need to set then for how others are going to be with me and what I will accept and won't? Soft heart, open hands, clear boundaries. I can do these in any order, thank goodness, and as many times as I need to. And I offer them up as options for you in this spiritual journey too. And I offer them not just because they help us calm ourselves if that's what needs to happen or get fired up in the right places to set the boundaries we need to, but I mention these today because they help me live more in alignment with the values we share in this faith community. Love and hope. Welcome, affirm, protect the light in each and every human heart. Act for justice. With boldness, yes, but with compassion and humility, too. All of the ways we turn toward what we want to create by how we are together. So today, I invite you to consider how you might care for yourself and each other with that soft catch, with love and hope at the center. How might we be together? May it not just be words, but actions that we live by. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.